Welcome, adventurers. Caria has retrieved a mysterious item at the request of Esmeri. With this action, she will set her place in the history of the Bharata province. But is it the mark she would want to leave? Season six starts now. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon. A collection of caravans and travelers had formed outside the southern gate. Wagons parked in a line, camps sprawling off each side of the byway. Travel in the glass sea typically occurred in the hours before dawn and after soul-set to avoid the day's oppressive heat. Even given this practice, the gates of Artisport opened with soul's rise every day and closed a bell after it set each night. The build-up of travelers that had arrived during the night was commonplace, and the gathering was referred to locally as the swell. The pre-dawn air held a biting chill, a chill that would be swept away like the last dust of winter from a home with soul's impending appearance. Karya had been waiting a while, she had no tent, so she sat cross-legged beside the road, cloak pulled tight. It had been almost two bells at this point. The chattering of her teeth was irksome and nearly constant. No matter how hard she had tried, she seemed incapable of stopping the involuntary response for more than ten beats at a time. Karia's wounds had been cured by Fion some four days prior, at least the ones that could be seen. The oily, crawling feeling that squirmed beneath her skin persisted, a fact she had kept from Fion. When they had arrived at the druid's grotto home amidst the rocks, there had been no sign of Koi. Fion made it clear she was able to stay as long as she wished. Maybe rest and recover. Giving a polite thanks, she claimed the client was in an immense hurry, which held some semblance of truth. Esmeré had conveyed the singular importance of the urn's recovery, both by words and in the price offered, but had given no specific deadline for its return. Caria could have stayed but she felt like that was likely to bring more questions about her well-being. She had seen Fion watching her when he didn't think she was looking. Caria traveled in the early evening and into the night. It had been a day from Ardisport when the shivering had begun. The wound on the back of her hand, the cut she had made to offer the blood required to remove the urn from its shrine in the devil's spine had been closed with Fion's healing magic, but it seemed the healing had been incomplete. A day after her rescue, it had begun to itch, 
and examination showed the skin was red and blotchy. She wore gloves from that point on, and only itched at it when she didn't think her halfling associate was looking. By the time the chattering of her teeth started, the wound was beginning to fester beneath the skin. Where the incision had been made was now a dark purple line. The skin around was swollen and red, but where an infection should have been fevered and hot, the blighted wound was cold to the touch. Unnaturally so. To be noted, but it could wait, Caria thought. She had no intention of dying in the next day. She would deliver the urn, and after that, she would be rich. There would be no healer's service in the province she could not afford. So the inconvenience was pushed to the back of her mind, and she continued on, on to the southern gate of Ardisport. At last the horn sounded, three long, slow notes, signaling souls rise in the opening of the gates. The clamor and motion of people's breaking down camps was all around, but Caria was already moving. She had little beyond the urn. So much had been left in the glass sea. Through the gate and into the cool streets of Ardisport, still covered in the morning's shadows. Caria did not make her way to the old town. There would be no trip through that cursed fountain this visit. Instead, she veered east off the main road after only a half mile onto the Avenue of Flowers. It was a road she would avoid in most circumstances. At this early hour, there were still only a few people out, making marking the passage of an unfamiliar person more likely. But it was the most direct route to the Rose Garden district, and as the filth squirmed beneath her skin, Caria was more than willing to trade some caution for a rapid conclusion to this business. Though not as crooked as the streets in the old town, the avenue of the flowers wound its way leisurely this way and that through increasingly opulent homes and estates. Caria walked on. Her teeth chattered. It must have looked strange, but she had given up on trying to stop them. Another quarter bell brought her gradually up a gentle rise. The road flattened and then began to fall again. Not forty paces into the descent she arrived. Nothing about the place matched its surroundings. Wrought iron fences were normal in the garden district. Most were ornate with swirling patterns and twisted bars. The tower before which she now stood had none of that. Sharp iron barbs, three hands long, topped a cracked plaster wall, which was of a similar height to Caria. A few of the barbs were bent, and she wasn't sure if it was just her compromised state, but it seemed those, the bent ones, were covered in a dark, brown-hued red rust, a rust that implied the previous presence of blood. 
amongst massive homes with sprawling gardens, the singular tower, six stories tall, and the modest carriage house to its immediate north, seemed more like a forgotten remnant of an old, demolished estate, or something that had existed long before the city, remaining unchanged as the city grew around and then enveloped it. Even with the amulet Esmeray had given her before departing on her mission, Caria's eyes still felt like they were shaking in her head, like three cups of strong tea on an empty stomach. They almost itched with the desire to look away, to not notice the tower's existence. Esmeray assured her that the amulet would protect her from the tower's defensive magics but it was clear that they were extremely strong. Teeth still chattering, Caria reached out a shaking hand to open the singular gate. As her hand touched the cold iron, the squirming film beneath her skin surged all at once. A wave of nausea and her vision began to blur and twist. In this moment of unclarity, a sound filled her head the call of a raven. The gate squeaked before her, and by the time her vision cleared, she was standing inside the fence. The gate closed behind her, though she had no memory of closing it. Caria turned cautiously, looking up and about to the nearby fences and rooftops. No raven, nor should there have been this far south. Bah, she was tired, that was all, needed a healer to see to her hand. These perceptions, these false noises, were not but the toll of her long journey on her mind. Caria turned back to the short brick path that led to the massive double doors, the base of the tower. She took two steps toward it, and then stopped. It was silent. Not completely silent, the white noise of the city still hummed in the background, but her teeth, her incessant, chattering teeth, had stopped. Why would? And then the next realization. The feeling beneath her skin had changed, no longer an oily sickness, but instead a unifying chill an eager chill, as if something completely separate within her drew near the completion of a long-awaited task. The feeling of being watched. Caria looked up to the tower. There were a few windows to be seen on the floors above, but nothing lurked there. The dusty panes were obscured by heavy curtains, Curtains Caria had only ever seen from the inside. A scowl bloomed on her face as she made her way to the entrance. Let this be over with. She raised her hand, and before it could reach the large, simple iron knocker on the door, there was a click from within, and the door swung open. She waited and, having calmly found its way to the pommel of the dagger on her hip. It would be hard to say she was surprised. 
but unsettled would not be too far from reason upon finding no one within. Water trickled in a large fountain in the center of the dusty room, the fountain through which she had arrived on her last journey. Caria stepped within, making a direct line to the stairs. She didn't bother to turn when the doors clacked shut behind her. Four floors above lay a fortune. Her fortune. She had what the wizard wanted. No magical spooks or odd feeling would stop her in these final steps. She passed through the second floor, the dusty, unused living area. The third floor, a ruined and abandoned atrium. The neglected laboratory that had been the fourth floor was in much the same state as her last visit, but she noted the small burner had gone out, and the foul-smelling experiment that it had powered had been ruined. A brackish liquid dripped from broken tubes and beakers. Caria's eyes sought the six shadowy corners of the room near the roof. The stone platforms there were now empty. She pushed it to the back of her mind. Statues don't move. They don't move, she thought, as she picked her way silently to the last set of stairs. Or at least, what she thought would be the last. As was the time before, the study was almost completely dark. In the face of completing her biggest deal ever, of solidifying her reputation as the foremost thief in the Barata province and beyond, Caria crested the stairs and stepped confidently into the room. She waited. Esmeray would do the trick with a candle soon. She waited. One bar. Two. There was a screeching noise coming from within. Something was moving. Cinder, Gorion, and Roselia take this woman's sense of humor. Caria had no intention of flinching this time. She waited still. As she waited, she listened. Though the noise came from within, it was not before her, but above her. It came from the roof somewhere. A vision of spiders of gargoyle statues stalking along the roof, waiting to drop, to set upon her, filled her head. She felt her hand drifting toward her dagger again, and then willed herself to stop. She had signed a contract, signed it in blood. No monster was waiting to kill her, not when she possessed the item Esmeray desired above all things. Now... Having been in the room almost ten bars, her eyes were adjusting to the almost non-existent light within. As they did, she realized there was one source of light, almost imperceptible. Directly across the room and near the roof, there was light coming from higher up, the sixth floor, the only floor Karya had never seen. The shallow scraping continued. Something was scratching, not in this room, but on the floor above. Karya took a step into the room, 
and waited to see if there was any reaction to her presence. There was not. Two more silent steps. It was difficult to tell what anything was beyond vague shapes, given the lack of illumination. A dark mass near the center of the room was clearly the desk, but other configurations could have been anything. A pile of books. Or a statue. A statue missing from its perch on the floor below. Karia's dagger had found its way into her hand at last, and she was forming a plan in her mind. If she could just find the chests, the chests with her payment. Like a shadow, she stepped gracefully to the desk, avoiding the clutter on the ground. She slid around. The chests had been behind the desk on her last visit. Karia found herself willing with all of her calm and professional poise that they would be there. The contract said delivered unto the party in the first part. If Karia left the urn on the desk, took her money, and departed without laying eyes on Esmeré, well, the item was still delivered. It should meet the specifics and technicalities of the contract. Even as her eyes strained to make out what might lie beyond the desk, even as her thoughts focused on completing the task and leaving with all haste, the cold feeling beneath her skin began to pulse now, almost pulling her, not toward any treasure, but toward the back of the room, toward the back of the room and up to the sliver of light that leaked in from the floor above. The sensation was growing, growing so strong it began to break her focus, the sound of her own heartbeat swelling in her ears. Karia shook her head as if it might fling the feeling, the sound from her, but it did not. She redoubled her search. There, ahead three steps, that silhouette seemed the right size and shape. Moving forward once more, Karia kneeled and placed a hand on the object. It was a chest. Her fingers ran over it for a moment, feeling for the lid, the hinges, for a lock. It was locked. Thud, 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 thud. Her heartbeat thrummed. It wouldn't be the first lock she had ever picked in the dark. Her hand went toward her belt. Thud, thud. Thud, thud. God's cursed that incessant pounding. Karia froze. While the pounding in her ears was as loud as ever, another noise had stopped. The scratching from the roof above. She waited. Maybe it had just... Another noise picked up. A soft, scuffling sound. Slow and labored as if someone or something was crawling across the floor. She held her breath. The noise moved from behind her, passed overhead, moved in a line toward the sliver of light. When it reached its destination, the dragging noise stopped. Karia's ears strained to hear. Was there a wheezing breath? 
it was difficult to say over the pounding in her ears. And then a screech of wood, a burst of light. Caria had to shut her eyes. A dull thud as a trap door from above was opened. She forced her eyes open, not looking directly at the light to begin with, letting them adjust. Finally, she risked a look in the direction of the now open hatch. The light illuminated the back wall, the staircase over the bookshelves that led to the room above. From the opening, something hung down, dangling roots or frayed twine, but it was neither of those. It was hair, or the remnants of hair, hair that hung from the hollow face of Esmeray. Cari, the voice rasped, so good to see you. There was an amusement in the voice, as if the wizard knew she was trying to avoid a direct exchange. There is nothing for you down there. Come, come up, my child. Bring me the urn and receive your reward. Caria's fortune lie in the room above. But is that fortune money? Or something else entirely? Stay tuned next week for the gripping conclusion of The Price Paid. People, uh, hands over your heads. Here we go. The final screaming descent toward the end of our show. Thanks for being here, and I hope you enjoy this final bit of the ride.